Welcome to episode 150 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 150 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. 150 sounds so, like, impressive, doesn't it? It does. Happy 150 to you. (laughs) How are you today? I am great. How about you? I am good. Good. I'm making a big forward step on my other podcast. Ooh, what's that? I am going to start having transcripts. Oh, are you? Yeah. I'm really excited. The episode coming up next week was so intense, (laughs) like science-wise, that I was like, I I have to have a transcript. Like listeners are just, they're going to freak out. Who was the guest? Dr. Chris Shade of Quicksilver Scientific. And it was all about NAD in the body and energy generation in the mitochondria. And it was like the deepest dive of deepest dives. And I was just like, people might freak out if I don't have a transcript here. Then I realized going forward, I think that's just, I, I mean, I love reading transcripts of other podcasts. I find myself doing that often. So I was like, this is actually a really valuable resource to have for people. And then I also think for like the website, it'll probably really help for rankings in Google because it'll be really search term heavy all of a sudden. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, people have requested every now and then that we have transcripts. And I'll be honest with you, if it's a, you you know, I don't listen to podcasts. (laughs) I've told you that before. I've talked about it. It just takes so long to listen. And I'm not a good multitasker when it comes to listening. So I prefer if I need to get some info out of a podcast that someone's like, this is a great podcast. I love if they have a transcript because then I can go straight to the info, read it, and I'm done. Yeah. I think it'll be a really great resource for people. Although it was really weird because, so I was reviewing it today. The first, I got the first one back. It's weird to see everything that you said in written form. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's like, oh, then you're like seeing what you said and it's like you created these words. It's like, a, it's like strange. I was like, I don't know if I want to actually put what I'm saying out there now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. It is weird to see something you've said. Speaking of which, I just got a box of books from my publisher of Fast Feast Repeat available for a pre-order <laughs> coming out June 2nd. Everybody pre-order. Melanie knows it's very, very important. The pre-orders matter so much more than you realize because that's how bookstores make their decisions about what books to carry, how well it's selling, you know, with a pre-order. But I got a copy of the books. They're, they call this stage the galley stage. I'm learning about traditional publishing. It hasn't been designed inside yet. So the next one I get is how it's going to more closely, how it's going to look. But it's still really exciting to hold a book in my hands. And boy, it's really thick. So exciting. It's so weird to see it. It is. It's like 300 and something pages. Oh, wow. I know. It's really a lot of info. It's so much more in-depth than Delay Don't Deny was because we know more now. I know more now. We, it's just, you know, a much deeper dive, but it's thrilling to see how thick it is. Are they going to release a hard copy as well? Nope. It's just going to be paperback. Mm-hmm. It's very, very exciting. It is exciting. Would you like to clarify for listeners about how it's the number one bestseller right now for <laughs> low-fat diets? Oh, it's also been number one in type 2 diabetes health, and it's been number one in green housekeeping. (laughs) None of those are categories that I put it in. Green housekeeping? Yes, that is a hilarious category called green housekeeping. And when you go to green housekeeping, you see all these different books that are not about green housekeeping. There's a lot of recipe books and quote diet books in that category. But it's just like, for example, I was looking the other day at my Amazon author ranking and in the health category, you know, I was like number 30 something of all authors in the health category on my Amazon author ranking the other day. And it was pretty exciting to see. But some of the authors that are considered to be quote health category, I would never think of as health. So there's like a a game that's played with what category you're in. And so anybody who sees that I'm in a weird category, I did not put myself there. That's (laughs) are you looking at green housekeeping now? I wasn't. Okay, I thought you might be looking it up. It's just funny. So, yeah, I was also in the low-fat diet. Ca- I mean, I mean, I guess we're low-fat, you know, 19 hours a day. So, <laughs> technically, we are. <laughs> that is true. I'm not low-fat during my eating window. Your greenhouse keeping, keeping care of your house that is your body. There you go. But it's just really funny to see what categories books are in. And, you know, when I listed Delayed on Deny, since it's self-published, I put it in like weight loss. Boom. That was it. I didn't give it any kind of wacky categories, but you'll see that on a lot of self-published books. You'll see it's like number one bestseller in cat toy books category or some nonsense. You know, that gets them a number one ranking. It's a game. That's what they recommend to do. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right now, my book Delayed on Deny is number three in the weight loss category, and that feels pretty awesome. That is very exciting. It is very exciting. It's also, I just looked right before we got on the air here, it's number three and it's number 11 and it's number 17 because it's the different versions. Like the paperback is three and the audible was like, anyway, it's really exciting to see it three times in the top 20, but I don't have it listed in a bunch of wacky categories because I want to be best-selling in the big category. Which is definitely happening, so... It is happening. And, you know, for a book that's been out for so long, that's just what's really exciting. You know, the obesity code is always ranked higher than mine. Like if I'm number three, it's number two. So that book has been out longer than Delay, Don't Deny. And people are still buying it at a very quick rate, which is thrilling. Yeah, I feel like there are these books that become just stable resources that people just keep buying. Well, it blows my mind that Delay, Don't Deny is one of those books because it seems to be. So anyway, that's just exciting. And I love the whole process. We'll see how it goes. And so y'all, if you think it's weird that I'm number one in whatever, low-fat dieting, rest assured that was not because I decided that would be the group I wanted to be in. (laughs) That's how publishing works. And we'll just see how it goes. It's exciting. So there was one thing I wanted to talk about really briefly. Okay. It was something that I said I was going to talk about and then I never did. And I actually have had a lot of requests from people. They're like, you never finished what you were saying. It was about the glycerol and the whoosh effect. Oh, yeah. I'll just say it really briefly. Okay. I did a lot of research on the whoosh effect, which for I mean, listeners are probably pretty familiar, but it's this idea that whenever you're dieting that, you know, you 
plateau or, or you even gain weight and then all of a sudden you lose all this weight like all at once over one night. I was doing some research and there's this theory that, so your fat cells are composed of fatty acids and glycerol. And when you break down the fat in your fat cells, you release triglycerides and you release glycerol, or I don't know if you necessarily release the glycerol. In any case, the the idea is that you break apart the bond between the glycerol and the fatty acids and glycerol actually attaches to water. It's lipo, what is it? Lipopho, what is it called when it like attracts water? I can't remember. Just say it attracts water. (laughs) It attracts water. So there's an idea that if you burn off some of the fatty acids, you're left with this extra glycerol, which takes a while for the body to process. So in the in-between, it attracts water. So then the cell fills up with water until the glycerol is processed. And then there's like this whoosh effect. So so you would think it is going into the fat cell? Because I've just seen people in other places like saying, no, that is not what happens. The fat cell does not fill up with water. That is ridiculous. I've just seen people who seem to know a lot about science say that is a ridiculous concept and it is not what happens. So I'm not sure. I know there's water somewhere. You've heard me say before, I, f- I felt like it might be in the lymph system, but I, I don't know. But you, you feel like it might be in the fat cell? I think maybe. I read one good post that was very, like, a casual sentence about it, but I think said it really well. It was basically, you know, scientists or people say, you know, on and on that the whoosh effect is not a real thing. But then it's like, literally everybody seems to experience it, like, very consistently. Yeah. Well, I 100% know that wa- something's happening with water. But, you know, I know that when your body releases fat from your fat cells, it also releases toxins that had been stored along with the fat in your fat cells. And I know that the lymph system is our body's, quote, you know, sewage system that's dealing with toxins. And so it makes sense to me that perhaps that would cause water retention. And, you know, like, for example, when, you know, I went on on the last cruise I was super puffy all over my whole body after being on the cruise ship. Even my ankles were puffy. My fingers were puffy. I mean, my my body was like trying to process probably lots of alcohol. And then it all just kind of whooshed away. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. So I don't know. Here's the point, y'all. doesn't matter. Whether it's in your fat cells, whether it's in your lymph system, wherever it is in your body, somewhere is holding on to extra water, right? We can say that is true. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out because I think people, especially people feel like they might feel like they're plateauing or they might get, you know, frustrated when it's like, if they just stick it out a little bit longer, you know, they'll see. Well, weighing daily with weekly averaging really is the reason I was able to stick with it back in 2014, because I, like most people, my weight would zigzag up and down like crazy. And all the times I'd ever tried to do intermittent fasting before getting on the scale and seeing several days of weights that were higher even though I had been sticking to intermittent fasting perfectly, I would just be like, forget it, this doesn't work, then I would stop. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the one time I stuck with it and was able to lose over 80 pounds was the one time that I was weighing daily and then calculating my weight, my weekly average and only concerning myself with the weekly averages and only worrying about my overall trend. I didn't quit because every week my weekly average was down. Even if my weight was up that day, My weekly average was down. So I knew that something was happening and that kept me going. So anybody who's just weighing infrequently or getting on the scale here and there or weighing once a week, even once a week is not good because you might be up that day, but your weekly average is still trending down. An app like Happy Scale is great for it. But, you know, there's so many things going on in your body. My pattern was, you know, I have a graph from that time that I share with people a lot in the Facebook group. My weight would go down, then it would go up, 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 then it would go down lower than it had been before, then it would go up, 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 then it would go down lower than it was before. It always did that. You know, it's really interesting. When I was researching the whoosh effect, I found like logs of people weighing their weights and that was always the pattern. Always. It's like there's a weight and then it's like up, 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 up. And then it drops down to lower than it was before that first weight. And then it goes up, 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 up. <laughs> what you just said. 
That's exactly what mine did though. And I have the data of it because I was weighing myself daily on a scale that synced with an app. So I I had all that data there. And, you know, there's so many scales that do that now. And you could also use an app like Happy Scale that keeps track of the, the trend for you. And it shows you like, as long as your trend is green, your moving average is going down. But if it starts to look red, that means your average is trending up. So you could just ignore the daily weights because that is irrelevant and know that something's going on. Weight loss is not linear. Maybe every day you do lose a certain amount of fat, but you can't measure that on the scale because of all the other stuff going on. You know, maybe you need to poop. Maybe you have all the water retention. Maybe your meal was really heavy. So many factors. And then at the end, it's just a number. Well, it is. And we want to lose weight. You know, I understand it's frustrating to not think that it's working. All those times that I quit is when I was like, this isn't working. So why am I doing this? Then I would quit. But probably if I'd have given it time, it would have worked, you know, but I guess what kind of story would that be? I tried it back in 2009. It was perfect. It worked. And no, (laughs) that is not how it was for me. It's, you know, it was a lot of giving up before I finally stuck with it. And I think that's an important part of my story. And I think that people can feel better about their own ups and downs when they hear that I didn't get it right for a long time. Yeah, I really, not that I like hearing about other people's struggles, but it's really comforting in a way to know that people, you know, go through their own challenges with different things and that that's okay. Heck, I look like I have it all together. You know, I'm still wearing the same clothes. I'm not, I'm not gaining weight and needing to buy new clothes, but I did just do some struggling with a little bit of, I think, wine-related fluff (laughs) that because I was drinking a lot of wine over November and December and have stopped drinking wine every night. And now I'm like leaner than I had been, you know, a year ago. So even for me this far in, you know, my pants might get a little tight and I have to do a little something, you know, luckily it's been easy for me to make a tweak, but you still have to keep tweaking, even, you know, for the rest of your life, you have to pay attention to what's happening with your body. And, you know, if my honesty pants get tight, I'm like, okay, why is that? Let me think about it. I always can tell. I was listening today to a little, one of Peter Atia's episodes. He was saying basically to lose weight, it requires at least one type of restriction. And there were three categories for that. I've heard him say that. I have heard him say it. Yeah. One of them was time-restricted eating, right? I was going to say, do you want to guess what they are? Yeah. I've, I've actually, somebody posted a clip from that. Maybe it was something from Instagram. I can't remember, but it was, let me see if I, I can't remember. But I know one of the things he said was time-restricted eating. Did he say either fat or carbs? He said basically exactly what I would have said had I been presented with this question. So one was when you're eating. So intermittent fasting, which he doesn't like that term, but time-restricted eating. It's so funny. So I saw somebody posted it in your group. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, he's anti-intermittent fasting. I was like, he is like the most pro-fasting person. He's anti the words, the wording. Right. (laughs) But the problem with that is the cat's out of the bag. We can't say, okay, let's all change the words now because it's just too much out there. We didn't make those words up either. Right. Yeah. So one was time-restricted eating slash intermittent fasting. Two was what you said, it's restricting some sort of macronutrient. So doing, you know, low carb, low fat, or even, because this was related to longevity, actually, not weight loss. So low protein was the other option. If it were weight loss, I don't think low protein would be one of those options. And then the third thing was calorie restriction, from the thought of that you eat less, not the idea of, now I'm going to count calories, the idea of calorie restriction for a longevity approach, not just going on, you know, I'm going to eat a thousand calories a day and lose all this weight. It's the the idea of calorie restriction scientifically that you eat less food forever. Yes, but this was in the context of you could try any of these approaches at any time. So not necessarily forever. So for longevity, like at any point, fall into one of these. So either be doing time-restricted eating or be doing macronutrient restriction or be doing calorie restriction. They actually use the wording calorie restriction in some of the fasting research. And it really confuses people because they're like, wait a minute, I thought you said, you know, we weren't supposed to be, you know, tracking calories or counting calories. But 
the whole point is that we probably are eating less food when we're doing intermittent fasting. It just suddenly is easier because of our eating window. and We're not having to worry about it. We eat until we're satisfied. And no, counting calories is not a good strategy for you long term. First of all, you may eat more because you're counting calories because you think you have to hit a calorie target. Or you might eat less because of a calorie target, whereas really you want to eat until you're satisfied and learn to listen to your body. But long term with intermittent fasting, it's true. You may be, quote, calorie restricting, but not like you're doing a failed low calorie diet. It's hard to get that distinction out there. I just had another sort of epiphany that I haven't had before. Okay. You were saying listening to your body, but it still may naturally be calorie restriction. I think that's so important because I'm sure there are exceptions, but it would be hard for somebody to follow calorie restriction, eating throughout the day, and be intuitively listening to their body because the body is always going to be wanting more in that state. Because you need fuel, right? And you're not getting it. Right. Whereas you could eat the same amount of calories in a time window and listen to your body and hit those signals of satiety that would not be hit, I don't think, were those calories spread out during the day. Right. So we know, you know, from reading the obesity code or from learning about how fasting works, we know that, or how we know about, you know, calories in, calories out. We know the body is so much more complicated than calories in, calories out. That being said, are you, quote, eating fewer calories when doing intermittent fasting? You might be. Now, I know some people who actually have been calorie trackers, and they tracked calories for years and years and years before intermittent fasting when they were eating frequently small meals, and they know how many calories they were eating, and they were slowly gaining weight, eating a very low number of calories. They could not lose weight. Then they switched to intermittent fasting. Now they eat more calories and are losing weight. So it's so much more complicated than calories in, calories out. We know that the body is complicated. But, you know, when someone says, you know, oh, you're eating less, and other people are like, no, you're not. Well, you might be. You actually, for some people, you may be eating less in your eating window than you were eating when you were, you know, eating all day long. So that really confuses a lot of people. I thought you said we weren't supposed to eat less. No, no one told you you weren't supposed to eat less. No one told you you were supposed to eat more. We want you to listen to your body. Exactly. And you might eat less and you might eat more. (laughs) And some days I eat less and other days I eat more. And it's all okay. It is. But when I was, you know, researching for Feast Without Fear, my second book that I released in 2017 and reading about the blue zones, a really important document. I can't remember the name of it. I have it linked in Feast Without Fear. But there was a document that compared what people ate from all over the world. It compared like the number of calories people ate at different points in their lives and where they lived. And the people in the blue zones do eat, quote, fewer calories. You know, the ones that are so healthy, they don't overeat. I don't think overeating is a good strategy for longevity. I don't either. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want 
as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine. Way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say. Because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry. And their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. And ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Speaking of the Blue Zones, really quick, I've been prepping for an interview with Sean Baker. So he's like, he's an MD, but he's one of the main figures of the carnivore movement. I've been prepping for an interview with him. And did you know that, so like, you know, the, the Blue Zones and everything, like Hong Kong has some of the highest life expectancy and they have some of the highest meat consumption. No, that's interesting. I did not know that. He was just talking about like the concept of, you know, cherry picking studies and such. But I was like, that's interesting. I also think that if you eat the way your ancestors did, that's always a good sign. You know, and and if their ancestors didn't eat as much meat, there you go. All right. Shall we jump into questions and feedback for today? Yes. So to start things off, we have some quick feedback from Emily. She had written into us about struggling to cut out some artificial sweeteners during her fast. And she says, I was so excited to hear my question on today's show. Thanks so much for the answer. It makes total sense. And I appreciate it because we obviously encouraged her to try a clean fast. She said, you're both so right. It's not about the window. Those sweeteners are not doing me any good, and I'm going to cut out the dirty gum. I'm expecting it will make me feel even better. Keep up the awesome work. Your show rocks. So it's nice to hear that people are, you know, trying the changes and being motivated. So yeah, I I love to hear that. And, you know, it made me think about gum. And I was actually standing at the checkout the other day. I think I was at Target and I was looking all the gum, so much gum. I used to always buy gum before intermittent fasting, I cannot even think about the last time I chewed gum. I mean, of course I wouldn't chew it during the fast, but I don't chew it during the eating window either. If someone was like, would you like some gum? I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. Yeah, no. Even during the eating window. It's just interesting. It's just something that would never cross my mind to have now. I would buy this type of gum that I liked. It was cinnamon and it was sweetened with, gosh, what is that? I can't remember. That one that's supposed to be good for your teeth. Xylitol. Xylitol. Yeah. I would buy this 600 pack of this cinnamon gum on Amazon. Oh my goodness. This giant tub of cinnamon xylitol gum. And then I had these smaller, like I would refill my little purse one and the one I kept in my desk. I mean, it was nuts. I was always chewing gum and now I have zero. Anyway, it's just funny. Yeah. I used to just go through the gum like it was a meal and I get intense gastric distress from that, all the xylitol. Especially I remember when I was trying in college, like the HCG drop things. I think I just like ate gum. (laughs) So much gum. It's just crazy. All right. Shall we go on to our next feedback? Yes. This is from Carol and the subject is IF issues for women. Hi, Jen and Melanie. First of all, thank you so much for your podcast. It is one I always listen to and can depend on for not only information and advice, but for encouragement. I'm writing in response to Emily's email, which was a few episodes ago. She was having trouble with weight gain, though she had previously been losing weight with IF. She mentioned that she was postmenopausal, I think, and had hypothyroidism. Your advice was that she go back to what had been working for her when she first started doing IF. 
She also mentioned that the only thing that had changed was her timing of her windows. This touched on an issue that for me has been so significant as well as a problem. I'm writing because it is rarely discussed on the podcast or any health podcast as far as I know, and I think it's a problem that really deserves going into as it may well be affecting more women than you know. When I began doing IF in July of 2018, I told my functional health doctor that I was doing it with a 16.8 or 18.6 window. She was quite concerned and told me not to do it. I didn't even ask her why as I didn't want to know. However, I did finally ask her because I was having problems. The reason is because I have low-functioning adrenal glands, which has slowly led to low-functioning thyroid. If the adrenal glands can't manufacture enough cortisol in the later stages of insufficiency, they will start to use estrogen to make the cortisol. That leaves a woman with lower levels of estrogen than she needs. I was on hormonal replacement therapy, so she didn't want the fasting to negatively impact that. It turns out that doing IF with long fasting windows can be too stressful to the adrenals and thyroid. I've heard it said that it's because they need some level of healthy carbs to have the energy they need to function. I didn't listen to her because I so wanted to do IF. I ignored her advice for months. Since I had already had fatigue, I didn't really notice that it didn't get better at all and in fact was slowly getting worse. I finally listened to her and shortened my fasting window to 14 hours, sometimes 16, but not for more than one day. My energy slowly improved, but I continue to have to keep my fasting window to only 14 hours generally. If I don't, my weight begins to creep up. I have much greater fatigue and my energy tanks. I am 5'3 and weigh about 125. So my concern is that Emily and other women with the same issues may be aggravating their body's health problem and possibly worsen their thyroid slash adrenal health. In order to really be disciplined about having a more strict fasting window in order to lose weight, they could actually harm their health. It's obvious from Jen's Facebook groups, all three of which I am a member, that younger women don't have these issues or only very rarely. Now, I would say, uh, this is Jen here, but I think that younger women can also have similar issues if they've been hardcore dieting for a long time. Just to pop in, I think younger women probably actually do have these issues just as much, but because they're younger, their body deals until they just crash and burn later. So compared to it happening later in life when you don't have the, quote, resiliency or, you know, the ability to deal with it as well. Yeah. I didn't thought about that before, but yeah. Okay. She goes on to say, but since many of the members are around peri and post menopausal age, a time when their estrogen is naturally decreasing, I think that addressing this issue would be very helpful. Another interesting fact to know about menopause is that as the ovaries make less estrogen, the adrenals take over, but of course, not nearly at the level that the ovaries functioned. The body stores that estrogen in its fat And that form of estrogen stored in the fat is called estrone. So if a woman loses a lot of her fat, she is likely losing an important source of estrogen along with the loss of estrogen made by the ovaries. That is also a reason why peri slash postmenopausal women begin to have trouble sleeping and with brain fog. Estrogen is very important for sleep. That doesn't mean a woman has to be overweight, though. I know this is horrendously long, but I kept having the thought to write to you about this, so I finally have. If you want to listen to a podcast, which is one of the few I have found to delve into IF and women's health slash hormones, a good one is Brody Welch's A Healthy Curiosity episode, Intermittent Fasting for Women with Stephanie Estima on November 14th, 2018. Thank you for all your time, work, and devotion. With highest regards, Carol. All right. That was a really great email from Carol. A lot of information in there and a lot of stuff to tackle. So... To start, I feel like there's sort of a a problem in how we often approach women in intermittent fasting in that we want to say that it's either perfectly fine for women, no problem, or it's bad for women and creates problems. When it's most likely a spectrum, we know women's bodies are more reactive and in tune in a way with stress levels. So I think it's a spectrum of how any given woman would react to different intermittent fasting protocols. For some women, it may be like amazing and even fix hormonal issues. For other women, it might be too stressful due to, you know, that time of their life, what they're going through, the dietary approach, the, I mean, there's so many factors. So I get hesitant when people either say, yeah, it's completely fine for women 
Or when people say it's awful for women, it's completely stressful. I think it really like context is key. And that's what I really loved about Carol's email is I find it, it was very nuanced, you know, like she was saying that she realizes that there are these things to keep in mind and to consider regarding hormones and how fasting can affect that, especially with the cortisol, the estrogen. I mean, that's fascinating, but she's not saying, oh, so I'm not going to do intermittent fasting. She even says that, you know, not engaging in intermittent fasting, she might find that her weight creeps up a little. So it's all about finding the right balance for her. So I really, really loved that. Do you have any thoughts about that part of it? Yeah. Just the point that she made about when we're overstressed, you know, it depends on what your body perceives as stress. You know, I'm going through menopause now. I'm perimenopausal. I've not yet made it to the one year mark ever <laughs> to be actually you know, considered postmenopausal. But for me, my body does not perceive intermittent fasting as any kind of a stress. Even, you know, I've been doing it consistently since 2014. I've had shorter windows. I've had longer windows. I've done alternate daily fasting. I've tried it all. None of that was too stressful for my body at any stage. Even now, it's continuing to feel great for me. It does not feel like a stress. It feels natural. Actually, what feels like a stress for me is when I eat you know, a really long window doesn't feel right for my body. So the key is how do you feel? If what you're doing makes you feel worse and worse as time goes on, that is a sign from your body that it is not working for you. If you feel fabulous with what you're doing, that is a sign that it is working for you. You know, I've talked about this before. I've just realized wine was not working well for my body right now at this stage. I'm hoping it's just something to do with this perimenopausal stage. But when I cut wine out, I sleep like a baby. You know, I don't remember struggling with sleep before. I was drinking, you know, a glass of wine with dinner for years. I was fine. All of a sudden, I'm having trouble sleeping when I have wine. I sleep great without it. I'm listening to my body. I may not like what it just told me. You know, last night I had a great chicken parm and I wanted to have a glass of red wine with it. And I said, nope, I'd rather sleep. So I skipped the wine. But just like in this email, Carol ignored what her body was telling her when she was having a short window, but she knew she didn't feel good. Then she lengthened it and she felt better. She listened to her body. She adjusted and now she's doing what makes her feel great. Intermittent fasting should be the exact same way. You know, you when you're not feeling better, you got to tweak something. Maybe it's what you're eating. Maybe it's when you're eating it. Maybe it's how long your window is. I do not think that just shorter, shorter, shorter window is always the answer for everyone. And really, for someone who's perimenopausal in the same kind of stage, if you're having trouble, it might sound counterintuitive, but the up and the down day protocol may be just what your body needs. Those longer days of eating you know, with the up days actually can be very healing for a lot of women. So, you know, you have a longer fast and then a really long eating window. So consider that as well. Not just, if you're constantly shortening your eating window, shorter, 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 that's not a good thing either. You know, if if you're having to constantly struggle with that. You want to have something that feels right to you and where you feel good while you're doing it. Exactly. And actually, I listened to, I think Carol would really love this episode and listeners might love it as well. One of the most fascinating discussions I have heard regarding women's hormones and how it affects, I mean, he talks about all of this cortisol and all of that, as far as how it affects how women respond to dietary changes, calorie counting, just different things. And it had to do with like the genetic level, like hormones on a genetic level. And it kind of ties into something we've talked about before, like that there are certain like body types, but I had never heard it put in the context of hormones. So it was on Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. The title of the episode was Women, Hormones, and DNA, Genetic Estrogen Hacking with Mansoor Mohammed, PhD. It was episode number 658 literally talked about all of this stuff that Carol just talked about and the deep, deep science of it and how it's working and why some women's bodies respond to, I don't know if they put it in the context of fasting or if they were just talking about like dietary restriction, but basically just why some women's bodies, and it relates to this whole estrogen thing and cortisol, why some women can effortlessly lose weight and then others don't. And why some women will, their quote, healthy body will be a body with more fat on it and why other women's body, their quote, healthy body will be leaner. He also talked about 
how this actually influenced why some women are more prone to things like amenorrhea, especially like athletes and things like that. It was really fascinating because he was saying that basically some of the body types, especially the types that are naturally inclined to become an athlete, they are the body type that is going to very easily and he said it had a lot of science behind it, but, you know, easily lose this fat as far as like how estrogen and stuff is involved. But because of that, there was the whole factor that came in with the ovaries and the cycle. And I mean, it was literally all the stuff that Carol was talking about. So listeners, if you would like to hear more, definitely check out that interview. It was really fascinating. But it goes on again, the thing we say all the time, there is no one size fits all way to do it. Exactly. If you are finding success and feeling good, keep doing what you're doing. If you're not finding success, we often suggest shorten your window because that works so well for so many of us. You know, for me, a two to six hour window day after day feels great to me. But if I started to feel bad, I would not keep doing that. You know, and if I had an eight hour window, I would gain weight. I just know. And I would feel not as good on an eight-hour window. But again, I listen to my body. I, I feel better when I wait till later in the day to eat than I do when I open my window early. So I'm responding to what feels good, not what, you know, some protocol that I read somewhere that I'm like, here's how you should do it. You know, I'm responding to how I feel. So that's what I want all of y'all to do. Listeners, respond to how you feel. Yep. All right. All right. Shall we move on to our next listener question? Yes. Okay, so next we have a very, very short question from Jennifer. Kind of makes me laugh because it's very short and to the point, but I think it's some good questions to address. Jennifer wants to know, what to have when feeling hunger pains? Jen, what would you say to that question? What to have when feeling hunger pains? Well, that's a great question because even with intermittent fasting, when you're as far in as Melanie and I are, you will still have a hunger pang that comes through during the day. You might have a little wave of like stomach growling. But the thing is to keep in mind, those are mechanical actions of your stomach and you just ignore it and go about your day. That's what I do. When I feel a little mild wave of hunger pang, I acknowledge it. Oh, there was my stomach growling. And then I go do something else and don't think about it. And it really gets to the point where you don't even think about it. It's not a problem. It's not like the hangry feeling that I had before I was doing intermittent fasting that was hard to ignore. So it's it's not the same thing at all. It's just much easier. If you ever feel nauseated or shaky, however, I want you to go ahead and eat. That's different. That's like blood sugar crash. You need to eat something, go ahead and eat. But if you just have a mild wave of hunger, you can acknowledge it and say, ooh, that's probably because I'm about to burn some fat. And then feel good about that. You know, stick to your clean, fast approved beverages, black coffee, plain tea, sparkling water can help. Make sure it's unflavored. What do you have to say, Melanie, about that? What do you do when you feel a hunger pang? Yeah, what I was going to say is that I think people expect this answer to be something that, okay, what are we going to put into our mouth? When really I think the answer is mindset, which is kind of like what you talked about. Assuming that you are getting adequate nutrition and that, you know, the intermittent fasting lifestyle is something that's supporting your health, you don't have to respond to these seeming hunger pains with, you know, panic or fear or anxiety or feeling that you need to eat something. I think it's important to acknowledge it, like know that it's there and that's okay, but that you don't have to engage with it. And I always reference these books and I think they're so valuable just for tackling this whole problem. One is Amy Johnson's The Little Book of Big Change. That's absolutely amazing for reframing how you respond to cues or habits or things like that. It's really, really relatable. And then the other one, which I always say, I wish I had a different title because I think it scares people away with a title, but it's Dr. Glenn Livingston's Never Binge Again book. And it as well speaks to this whole idea of how to respond to this hunger pang or this cue that you might have. Yeah. So we'll put links to those books in the show notes, but I do think the answer is more of a mental one rather than a a literal thing. But if you want something actually literal, I mean, like Jen said, you know, water, black coffee, also like just doing something can actually make it go away. Physical activity, you know, it's kind of funny. Think about the times when like maybe you were hungry and then something happened that was really exciting and like you completely lost your appetite, you know, like nothing changed as far as 
the amount of nutrients or food in your body at that time, but your mindset did. And then Jennifer's second question, again, a very simple question, but what to have at dinner to keep you feeling full for longer? That's a great question. And there is no universal answer for that, Jennifer, except I guess I could say eat real food. You know, that that's the key for me. If I eat, quote, junk food, that does not keep me full. I mean, I could eat a whole lot of it. Like if I went and ate fast food and had a giant fast food meal, that would not make me feel full. And I mean that in a way I might feel physically like I had a lot of food, but I'm not satisfied. So when I eat really high quality meals that have plenty of vegetables, high quality starchy foods that are, you know, real ones, I'm not talking about Doritos, even though I love them, I'm talking about a potato or, you know, brown rice, something like that. Vegetables, high quality carbs, high quality protein sources, high quality fats. When I eat real foods, I feel full longer than when I eat lower quality foods. Now, for some people, if they eat more carbs, they feel full longer. Whereas other people, if they eat more carbs, they feel hungry sooner. Even the quality of your carbs could be you know, different from one person to another. For example, you know, I have some good intermittent fasting friends who talk about how hard the next day is for them if they eat rice with dinner. Whereas others say, oh, if I eat rice for dinner, I'm so full the next day. So there is no universal answer except real food, pay attention to how different things affect you and realize that what works well for me may not be the same thing that works well for you. Also speaking to that, what works for you now or yesterday might not be what works for you well tomorrow. That can change completely. I love what you said, Jen, about the the real foods. I think that's so important. I I feel like it's hard to find people that feel really full after processed foods. I mean, I'm sure there are, but just there's something so much more satiating about whole foods. I think also nutrient-rich meals compared to nutrient-depleted is huge. For long-term, you know, feeling full, because if you ate a ton of calories, but you didn't get the nutrients you need, you're probably still going to be hungry. Correct. Yep. That is so true. Also, there's the protein leverage hypothesis. I do subscribe to this, at least currently. Of course, I'm open to change, but it's basically the idea that we will eat to satisfy our protein needs. So until you hit the minimum amount of protein that your body needs, you're going to want to keep eating. That's why it can be really important to center your meals around protein. Another aspect that I think could really influence feeling full after a meal, I mean, something like fiber, I think is really complicated because studies do pretty consistently show that, you know, higher fiber diets lead to higher satiety levels. But if you're the type that struggles with GI distress from high fiber, you know, that might impede nutrient absorption, ironically enough, which might keep you, you know, hungrier longer. Also, if Some people might be thriving on fiber, feeding their gut microbiome. Their gut microbiome is creating energy substrates that is keeping them full. But if your gut microbiome isn't thriving on the type of fiber that you have, then you're not necessarily going to get that satiating effect from, you know, the short chain fatty acids produced by the microbiome in a beneficial symbiotic relationship. So that's why it just goes back to what we were saying. You have to find what works for you. I do think the microbiome is probably a big factor in how long you're staying full. You know, are the foods working symbiotically in junction with that microbiome or is it creating, you know, toxins or inflammation or things that actually might be creating more hunger? That's another thing. Inflammation actually affects leptin, which is our satiety hormone. So if you have high levels of inflammation, you actually might not feel as full. So if you're eating a diet that is inflammatory for you, that can actually make you not feel as full as long. Like there's so many factors. That's why I think I love what Jen said at the beginning, like finding the whole foods that work for you. So the whole foods that are nutrient rich, that are not creating an inflammatory state in your body, that are working with your gut microbiome at that given time. I think that's probably the key or one of the keys to staying full. Yes, I agree. That was good stuff. I think our our gut microbiome is such a key player in what foods work well for us. Can I ask you one really quick question before we go that this made me think of? Yeah. If you are writing a book and you are painting a picture about things like this, and then you said, this study found, you know, a given finding, 
and then you put a reference to that study. And then you talk a little bit more and then you add a caveat and you're like, well, actually, you know, a study might show, it might be more complicated because this study actually shows, you know, something different. And then you reference the study. If it was the same study for that original one and then your caveat one later, would you reference it as the original study or would you create a whole new reference and pretend like it's a new study? Well, it's not a new study. It's the same study. So you would not have a whole new reference. So, but what if there was a reference in between? So like, well, you just have the same number to for it. Like for example, if it was reference number seven, it would still reference number seven, even though there was a number eight in the middle. Okay. So you have seven, then eight, then seven. I mean, that's how it works. I have a doctorate and I taught online for a master's degree program and that's how it works. You don't create a whole new one every time you mention the one again. I mean, that's what you do. (laughs) I had to grade people's use of APA style. That was like the most tedious part of my teaching online, but I had to look at their APA and make sure they were citing correctly and using references correctly. And so, yeah. Why are you mentioning that? Because I've been slowly working my way through Michael Greger's How Not to Diet. And like I said, it's taking me so long because I Every single sentence basically has a study, and then I want to go read the study. But when I was reading it last night, I like read a sentence, and it had a study. So then I clicked it, I went, and I read the whole study. Then he had some other things, and he referenced some studies, and then he had another like sentence, and he was like, oh, but there's actually a caveat because... And then he said this whole thing, and I was like, wait a minute, that's what I just read in the study that I just read. But he referenced it as a new study, but it was actually the same study. It could have just been an error, because when you're compiling so many studies... It gets, you know, it can get confusing. Well, that's what I was wondering is, was it that or is it, you know, consciously trying to make it look like a a new study? Yeah. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt there. And just because it's really hard to manage so many studies. Yeah. Well, the reason I was thinking that it might have been intentional was because sort of like, like the second point that he made was kind of in conflict to the point he was making to the first. Yeah. I mean, not completely, but like he could have said it, all of that when he just talked about the study the first time, but it kind of, it felt a little sneaky. Yeah, it did. Because say, because the follow-up caveat that he wanted to have, if he had said it right at the beginning, he wouldn't really be able to say like that first point that he made. So the way he got around it I'm thinking the the way that came off to me was that it's like, we say the study that shows this, we talk a little bit more and we say, oh, but maybe there's caveats because this other study showed this when really it was the same study. So if he had said that right at the beginning, it would have kind of discounted what he said at the beginning. I'm not trying to attack him. I'm just saying like people, when you read like your books, definitely, I just encouraging listeners to really don't take things at face value, really do your own research and really do it. But I cannot say how many times I have gone to a study and that's not what it says at all. And I will say, I'm very proud of the fact that no one has ever said to me, I went to the study you referenced in your book and that's not what it said. No one has ever said that to me. That makes me feel good (laughs) because I work really hard to not have that be the case. The reason I really picked up on it this time was He made the first comment. I went and read the study and I was like, yeah, but it also says this. And I'm like, why is he not mentioning that it also says this? Then he said more. Then he was like, oh, but you know, maybe there's an exception because this study showed this. And I'm like, yeah, you're trying to make it look like it was another conflicting study rather than it was the same study that you were trying to use at the beginning. Maybe he just said that in reference to the one in between. Like he could have been like referring when he said, yeah, but this other study, maybe he was just referring. I'm, I'm giving him a little benefit of the doubt there. I don't know. I, I don't didn't get that far in his book to read that. Because when you spend nine hours a day managing Facebook support groups, you don't have time to read anything. <laughs> People have no idea how much time I spend on Facebook. It's a lot of work. I hear you. Yeah. I know. Just I've like been consciously trying to just like consume less information, honestly, because it's a labor of love. It's a passion. I love to help people. But you know, there's the very strong sense you want to say, did you know I've already answered 14 questions about lemon so far today? And if you would just search in the search bar using the word lemon, you wouldn't have to ask me this question. But I don't because that's not very nice. <laughs> 
Because really, it's like we get, you know, anywhere between 400 and 900 posts a day and we approve all of them one by one. You know, each one is a person looking at that post and answering it. And so out of all of those 900 posts, over half of them are questions that we've answered a million times. It's just interesting. It's kind of reminds me the other day, somebody posted in my Facebook group, somebody asked for like a question for recipes. And then, so I posted, I was like, oh, you should definitely check out my book. What, when, why, and you know, it has 50 recipes, whatever. And then somebody commented, they were like, oh, well, let's all just self-promote. And I was like, do you know whose group this is? I post my dinner every night and I usually eat something that is a food with a sponsor of intermittent fasting stories. And every now and then someone will be like, are we all allowed to? I'm like, well, I spend nine hours a day managing this group and I feel like I could (laughs) share. I am allowed. (laughs) Yes. And if you would like to start a Facebook group from zero and then mention what you're doing, promote it like crazy, right? So yeah, that's true. I'm not even trying to promote it. It's, it's a resource. Like it answers the question. <laughs> it's your book. You wrote a book. Well, it answers the question is the thing. But I feel like you should feel free to promote your book all day long in your platform. And that Facebook group is your platform. And people forget that, you know, yes, we're a support group. Yes, I spend nine hours a day answering your questions. And so do the moderators. And it's awesome. But it is still my platform that I created and curate and care very deeply about the members of. I care very deeply that people get good advice and not like people get really upset when we close comments. Like someone will say, you know, can I have X, Y, Z? And then we'll answer it. We'll say, no, that's not part of a clean fast. And we'll close the comments. And they get so irate because they wanted to hear from more people or something. We're like, well, you don't need to hear 200,000 answers. You just need what our group believes is the answer. Or here's another one. We actually sometimes decline posts because, you know, like let's say we've had five questions in a row about can I put lemon in my water? We might not post it and instead we send them a private answer. And people really get upset about that. We had one the other day who sent another post complaining. She's like, you would not allow me to post my question in the group. So I searched in the group and found 14 other posts you had approved with the exact same question. And I wanted to say, well, congratulations, you got your answer multiple ways. I don't know why you're upset. You know, she wanted her question answered. She found the answer to her question. People are just interesting. (sighs) They don't want to read that you answered it for someone else. They want to hear you answer their question, not just that they have the answer. So we do our best group members. So please don't ever take it personally. Like the one that we didn't put in the group, we had just answered six of a very similar question. And people who are members of the group don't want to see six similar questions, one after the other. They just don't. So we will decline somebody's post with a private answer to them in what's called a decline note. So you're still getting your question answered just personally, which actually is a very high level of service. If you think about it, you're getting one-on-one support, but people sure get mad about it. They're like, I wanted everyone to see my question. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We're trying so hard, and that's what's also, you have to laugh a little bit, but we could not possibly be working any harder. Well, the misconception that gets to me is that the promoting idea, the reason I wrote the book was to have it as a resource. I didn't create it to promote it. I created it so that I could provide it to people when they have these questions. That's 100% true. When I wrote Delay, Don't Deny, it was to support people who are asking those questions. That is really why I wrote it, because I was... I had the support groups first and I'm like, there really needs to be something I can have them read that has everything. That is literally why I wrote the book. So when someone's talking about weighing and having trouble with their weight, I can say, go reread the weighing chapter. And it's not just because I want to sell you a book. It's because I have really good information in this weighing chapter and I wrote it so you would read it and know it. And I can't rewrite it every single day. Every time someone asks, I wrote a book. It's in the book. (laughs) Anyway, we're trying to help people the best we can and give them the information and the information is in the resource. Yep. Now that was a tangent. I love my Facebook support groups and I love the members, so I'm not complaining about them, but I just want people to understand that there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. We have 60 moderators in the big group and they're literally working around the clock while I'm asleep. There are people in Australia 
who are moderating and nobody is like purposefully not answering your question or posting it. We're making sure to answer them and also curate how many times the same question is asked. So keep that in mind. And so speaking of, definitely join us in those Facebook groups if you're not scared away. No, it's a wonderful place to be and it's really supportive. We troubleshoot with people. We help people. We cheer them on. But I would love it if people would use the search feature for simple questions like, you know, can I have lemon in my water? (laughs) You will find the answer to that. Actually, if you just look in the group photo, there's a graphic that shows what you can and can't have. If you just looked at that, man, I would prefer to spend time answering, you know, the support questions, like the kind we answer on the podcast where we're helping people talk through their issues. You know, you get tired of saying, sorry, don't use lemon. Sorry, don't do that. But when it's all right there, you want people to look for it. Yep. All right. So this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 150. We put links to everything there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of these stuff that we like. We are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you'll get early access to the podcast 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. You can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod, although I don't really do anything with Twitter. So I'm going to stop saying that, I think. Yeah. So this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that was it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.